Southwest Virginia has much work to do when it comes to gender equality. And the negative result of that inequality can be felt in both the home and in the economy. This report is the second in a series of programs dealing with gender identity. The first report, which aired last month, dealt with male identity. In this report, which airs during National Women's History Month, we deal with gender equality and female identity. The people interviewed for this story joined together in an online panel discussion. They include a professor of public health at Virginia Tech, a professor of sociology at Emory and Henry College, a psychologist, a chaplain, and a college admissions counselor. They discuss female identity and gender equality from the perspectives of not only professionals, but professionals whose work intersects often with these issues. They also speak as wives, mothers, sisters, and daughters. For these women, Southwest Virginia is in many ways lagging behind other regions of the country when it comes to recognizing and dealing with gender inequality. The problem is not just in terms of equal pay for equal work, but it is also related to the opportunities that women are given, the perceptions about women in the home and the workplace, and the priorities that are given to the work that is often assumed by women. Dr. Amy Smith is a professor of public health at Virginia Tech. She received her undergraduate degree from the University of Miami. In Miami, um, I saw a whole different world. You know, women were doing everything men were doing. And they, I, 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 I recognized that. And so from Miami, I moved here because that was the year my parents moved down here and I didn't have a job leaving Miami. The people I encountered, I mean, imagine Southwest Virginia 40 years ago. It, it, there was nothing here. Hardly. There were a lot of older, old Abingdon families. And the question I got my, most often was, honey, are you going to be a nurse or a teacher? It was like there was no other choice. So that's what women did if they were going to work outside the home and live in Southwest Virginia. And I had a degree in um, English with a concentration in marketing and public, public relations. And that's what I wanted to do. So my first job interview was with a man um, who had the only public relations business at the time. And he let me go through the whole interview. And then he just looked at me and he said, honey, you can't do this job. You're not a man. And that was, that was my first, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. The Reverend Sharon Bowers is the associate chaplain at Emory and Henry College. She talked about her initial perceptions of Southwest Virginia as a woman new to the region. And I guess not only being female in this area, but being female and being African-American. I think that adds another another dynamic. And I've lived all over. I am, you know, an Appalachian girl. I'm from right down Greenville, Tennessee. So, you know, Southwest Virginia, East Tennessee, it's one in the same. <laughs> you know, it doesn't change much. And um, I think that one of the major things, just coming here myself, this was a, a major salary challenge for me personally. Um, I, I told someone, uh, this is the less money I've ever made in my entire life being here. And, uh, and I know some of that is, is uh, probably um, the area, but the other part is, I don't think that, uh, that salary equity exists in the way that it should on our campus as well as in the area. Dr. Aaron Finney is a psychologist who lives in Glade Spring. 
She is married and has a 12-year-old daughter. Moving here, it was immediately striking to me that there was almost no child care available, right? But the snow days are frequent. And so from the very first year, it's like, how do people live and work here? Like, how do families have two jobs outside the home when there's no real child care available? Uh, I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but you know, those places get full fast and there's really nothing for children under two years old. So if you're a woman, you have to make a very careful choice. Like, do I move here if I already have children? Is that a smart choice for me? Or if I, if I do not have children, should I have children? Because if I want to work outside the home, that may or may not be an option given what childcare there is. Um, in the snow days, that that just blew me away. Like, how, how do people handle having jobs and also managing the frequent snow days in January and February? <laughs> so that that was a big deal. Um, and and honestly, it influenced a decision to to not have more children. My child will stay an only child because of that reason. So, you know, that might have been different if we'd stayed in Colorado because childcare was much more easily accessible. Dr. Shelley Coe is a sociology professor at Emory and Henry. She says that women in Southwest Virginia do struggle for equity in large part because of the region's lack of good child care and also because of other expectations that are put upon them that men do not generally bear. Well, I think, I mean, we're looking at, you know, different realms. So, you know, I think what, what we're hearing is women are still disadvantaged in, in some ways in the workforce and then we're disadvantaged because we're, we're most often the caregivers. Um, and it's still, I think it's still hard to do that job, right? To do those two jobs. Um, and especially in this area, you know, like Aaron said, I mean, the daycare and, and childcare situation is just really, um, really uh, non-existent. So, I mean, I think that that, that kind of encapsulates um, the issues that women all over are facing. Um, I want to add that I still think it's a real good old boys network around here if I could um, if I could go out on a limb and, and say that um, I I have a really difficult time for example calling to get um, anything on my house fixed or you know to get um, you know any type of maintenance done um, because um, I'm treated like uh, you know like I don't know what I'm talking about or I don't get calls back and I know this is in the broad scheme of things, it's not a huge deal, um, but it adds, I think, that other layer, right, to kind of these structural issues that other people have talked about, and then you don't feel like you you're, you belong here in some way. Um, so um, I have I have a great example. Um, I have a friend who wanted to buy a riding lawnmower, and she called the office and she got a quote um, for the lawnmower her male friend called right after, right? And, and was quoted $300 less, same mower, right? And, you know, we just, that wasn't a, you know, planned experiment, but, it, but I think it just, it, it, I think it illustrates like the difficulty of still being a woman here in, in this area. One obstacle to the advancement of gender equality in Southwest Virginia is the lack of female empowerment. Few women hold elective office in the region. 
The region has no women represented in the state legislature. And outside of education, there are very few women leaders among the major businesses in Southwest Virginia. Without those leaders, the participants in this discussion said, younger women have few opportunities to know and feel supported by female role models. Um, someone said, women are not empowered if they are not in power. I don't believe women are really in power in this area. Um, in, the, in the 10 years that I've been here, there's only been one woman on the Board of Supervisors in Washington County. Um, you know, I know there are some women in, um, in Abingdon, you know, town council, but I think, you know, again, um, we certainly don't make up, it's, there's nowhere near parity in, um, in leadership positions. Finney expressed dismay with a recent state legislative election that saw the female candidate lose solidly to her male opponent. One recent campaign that really shocked me was um, the campaign with Starla Kaiser and William Wampler III. She was by far the more qualified candidate, like no question. She had advanced degrees. She truly cared about the people she was planning to serve. She, I mean, she went away to get Ivy League education and came back. Um, she had done so much to set up, you know, health clinics and private practice and just advocate for the healthcare of the people in her region. And a man who was completely unqualified, just, it, it was no contest. It shocked me. I just could not believe that it wasn't even a close race. Um, it, you know, and hearing just people talk about this race just made me think, well, nobody ever expected her to win. I mean, yeah, she was running as a Democrat against a Republican in a very red area, but still like, I don't know. It, it was shocking to me how little faith people seemed to put in her. The best examples for female leadership in this region may be in education, particularly in higher education, according to Smith. In that realm, women tend to be allowed to lead effectively using a style that is often different from men. Most of my leadership with women has come in education. Most of my experience with leadership in women has come in education. The, um, the head of the department at Virginia Tech for Population Health Sciences is a woman. Um, my dean at Virginia Highlands is a woman. Uh, so I've, I've, I've had some really strong and very impressive women, female leaders uh, at, in education. You, you, you just don't see it a whole lot in any other realm around here. Although I will say, if you look at a lot of the small businesses that have opened in the last several years around in and around Abingdon, especially, many of them are women, women owners. They're, they seem to um, excel and have a lot of aptitude in, in ownership, in business ownership. So uh, that makes me happy that they're willing to go out on a, you know, a limb and, in, in the, and I think that that is, um, something that men traditionally in this area have been, business owners have been men, whereas now we're seeing a lot more women in that area. Mary Bolt is a longtime resident of Southwest Virginia who now works as a college admissions counselor. She has also worked as an elementary school teacher. She agrees with Smith about women leading more in higher education, but she has noticed that women will often remain hesitant to lead in other areas if they feel the need to emulate a male style of leadership. You know, 
I'm not trying to bash anybody, but you know, I the leaders in education, Shelley's husband was one, were very, very good leaders and didn't rule with explosive tempers. Everyone that I've had outside of being a school teacher and and maybe I've just hit it unlucky, had trigger tempers and felt fine to explode when they were frustrated, just and then go on with it. Whereas I feel like when I've had to offer suggestions and if I got frustrated, I couldn't show it a bit. Not that I would want to, but it is it is a difference, I think, in, in how men and women lead. And unfortunately, I think there's some women who feel like they have to take on those, those male personalities to be heard. Bowers notices similar dynamics in the church. We're socialized to see men in leadership positions. And so when we see something different, it doesn't resonate with us. And um, for instance, I'm clergy. So really challenging to have female clergy and to have female clergy who are respected because the male dominance, the, the pulpit has been relegated to male only for so long. And then the the supporting structures, the socializing agent of religion just kind of keeps fulfilling that. So it's kind of like an expectation that that keeps coming. The other thing I was thinking while Mary was talking is that oftentimes, you know, when you when you do find women in leadership or women at the table, uh, everyone does, doesn't have the same agenda at the table. Sometimes women are just so glad to be there that they're no longer really advocates for women. They're just looking out for themselves, you know, my four and no more. And as long as I've got that, that's okay. And if it, and and sometimes from a tokenist perspective, you know, women are used as tokens to say they're sitting at the table, but what are they doing while they're at the table? And who are they benefiting? As a sociologist, you know, looking at scholarship, we see that leadership is often connected with masculinity, right? And so, so those two things become synonymous, um, and that per, that presents then a, a double-edged sword for women. So when they're in leadership, if they act like women, then they're not taking seriously as a leader, but if they act like men, right, then they're, you know, they may or may not be successful um, because of people's uh, stereotypes or expectations um, of them as women. Um, so I think that very difficult, um, I mean, how can you be successful in that, in that kind of a situation? Although women are increasingly finding support among other women, according to some of those who were interviewed for this report, one of the hindrances they face toward a stronger sense of self is discrimination against women among women, a form of what is called horizontal discrimination. This condition is perpetuated by a lack of strong female role models, but it also has its roots in historic assumptions made about the proper roles of women and by males who insist on positions of power over women in families. Horizontal uh, structural, you know, sexism is hard 
because sometimes we're not just battling male dominance, we're battling the expectations of females. Bauer says that horizontal discrimination can occur in many communities, but it can be particularly deleterious in relationships among women. So horizontally, I mean, they can slaughter you, quote unquote, where you think they'll come along and say, oh, this is a colleague, I'm gonna support her in what she is doing, or I'm gonna support them in what they're doing and, and move on. It doesn't work like that. That horizontal sexism is almost as difficult to handle and for sometimes more so than it is, you know, to just deal with regular homegrown sexism. Southwest Virginia presents particular challenges for raising young girls, according to Finney, whose 12-year-old daughter has her own way of dealing with young boys who might want to minimize her humanity. So we've tried to really empower her, um, you know, throughout her development. And um, I was very, very pleased to hear her talk about her strategy for getting through the halls at, you know, in middle school. (laughs) Um, She... There are a lot of quote unquote naughty boys in her particular cohort, and she has developed a stare that will have them shrink back against the the walls and make way for her as she moves through the hallway. So, you know, and every other girl she has noticed that does not have the stare, they get bothered, right? They, they get touched, they get um, harassed, and she, she's not going to be anybody's plaything. As a psychologist, Finney speaks with many different kinds of women about issues related to female empowerment and female identity. Many of these women are blue-collar workers who have husbands who are strong in their opinions. I, I, I talk to a number of women, you know, it's, um, it's always very striking to me how often the woman has a partner who is very, very staunchly conservative. Um, so, so even if they want to lean more left, you know, they faced with discord in the home or compromise, they're, they're going to choose to compromise. And I, I would like to think that, you know, generation upon generation is going to feel more and more empowered, maybe to, to seek out a different kind of partner from the beginning, you know, one that's more interested in equality and more more ready to see humanness, or more ready to see women as um, equals and capable and such things. Um, I, I don't feel like that's the case of men in Southwest Virginia by and large right now. Um, I, I hope that this shifts, but um, I think it's going to be a long time, honestly. I think it's going to take generations. What could change conditions for women in Southwest Virginia who sense a serious lack of gender equity? What policies could perhaps make a difference? Coe says the solutions are clear, but probably elusive. Well, one thing we haven't talked about uh, is um, changing the, you know, changing gender roles within the household. Um, And because I'm gonna try to tie this together. First, you know, um, women without children, and, and this is definitely, you know, breaks down differently according to race and ethnicity, um, but women without children make closer to parity to men 
than women with children. And so we're really talking about women with children um, are more disadvantaged. And so, and then, then you think about single, you know, single parent households, and those women are then, you know, significantly disadvantaged without an additional income. And then all the, you know, the non-existent support that we have for um, childcare, for healthcare, for education. Um, so I, what I would say is we need to find a way to do something like more like the European countries do where we subsidize, um, we subsidize healthcare, we subsidize education, we subsidize um, having children, right? I mean, there are countries where you get, you know, hundreds of dollars a month to pay for kit, you know, to pay for um, food and to pay for, you know, books for school and, you know, we don't have any of that. Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think what we're really going to have to move toward is a more socialized system in which we start to um, expand the care for our, for our, our meaning all of our kids, right? Um, and, and that's, I don't, that's not even on the table. Like, we're not even, we're not even talking about that, except that this COVID um, crisis, I think, is bringing it to the fore, right? We see that there are no other supports than women, right? For caring um, for our kids, for our, for our elderly, um, for, you know, folks down the block. Like, you know, all of this work um, is done by women, who, which is unpaid, which takes away from their, their opportunities to be in political positions or to be, you know, college presidents. Like who has time, you know, as, as a single parent, you know, to run a college, right? That just doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, all the frontline workers, the essential workers who are also in, you know, professions that are going to make less because they're feminized, right? I mean, it's just like so many, I mean, there's so many um, areas that, that we could easily, um, you know, make some strides, but we have to get women and feminist men and, you know, other folks that are going to get in those positions to start making those and changing those policies. The participants in this discussion said it will take a good bit of time for this country and this region to organize itself around solutions to address the needs for gender equity. But they do say that in the meantime, that it is important for women in particular to remain in communication with each other, to be sharing ideas and to be sharing issues and concerns so that they can begin to address them. I think it's really important for all of us women um, to find each other and to have these conversations. I find that really empowering just to find, find those who are like-minded and can have these conversations. I was raised to go to college, but it wasn't specifically for anything but to really get married and have kids and acting privileged because they got away with things. But but my my passion for women and and gender equality has gotten a hundred times stronger in the jobs that I've been in in the last 10 years. But I don't speak out much about it. And I, again, that's my personality. Um, one thing that's helped me is I'm retiring. So I have felt, and that's so sad. I have felt more empowered to say what I really think. Um, I guess you could fire me before you retire me, but 
I have felt so free since I um since I decided I was going to retire. Definitely, I'm a very very strong advocate of gender equality in pay and positions. The only, one of the only thing that has kept me in Southwest Virginia, as long as I've been here, is the fact that I do have a partner who is always encouraging, encouraging me to be the best me that I can be. And when I, at 45 years old, with my kids graduating from high school, decided I wanted to go back to college, get a master's and pursue a PhD, <clears throat> was behind me 100%. And I think, I think that's a really important because I have spent 40 years being so frustrated with this area in so many ways, but because I do have a partner who is encouraging me to be just to be me, I can tolerate it. It's a, it's a good thing for us to be able to, what we would say from a, a Quaker perspective, we'd be able, we would speak truth to power. And so when we see these uh, you know, structures of power that we are not afraid to speak to them, regardless of what the outcome might be. Because if we never say anything, then they're gonna remain as erect and as, as difficult as they are. It's only when we start the conversation. You have been listening to Together to Get There. Thank you for listening.